welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and the people that we go over are like enskied for like bad reasons. Enskied? That sounds bad. Well, to immortalize a person. Oh, okay. So, I mean, a lot of the people we talk about are famous. It's true. For... All the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. And some of them are still alive and they're probably sitting in their cells like, I'm a narcissist and this is beating my ego and all the things. That's probably true. So, you know, you do hear about like how people get upset with how popular the true crime genre is because it kind of gives a lot of credence or attention to the perpetrators right and not enough on the victims right Mm -hmm. and I get that but I also think that with at least the population that we look at that we're really trying to figure out why they are the way they are and not because we think that they're like awesome amazing people but because we're trying to figure out how to prevent that from happening right and in a way rather than like sensationalizing them we're trying to humanize them yeah because most of the time they are just like fucked up beings yeah they're just people they had fucked up childhoods and although they have free will i mean we've gone over a very minimal amount that like did have possible insanity like full on (laughs) you know most of them made the choice to do what they did right exactly couldn't or they wouldn't um overcome those urges to be pieces of shit So that's not what we do here, or we try not to. So I hope that doesn't come across that we do. But I'm uh, done with that now. Courtney, we're back. We are. We have a new case. Different today. It is different today. So Trish and I are going to sort of be changing it up a little bit today. So I'm going to be telling the story. um, And I've got a couple questions. I don't know this guy at all. I didn't do any research on this person. So I am learning with you guys, which is totally not our MO. Yes, we're going to be a little more spontaneous today. Don't know how it'll go. We'll see. Yeah, maybe we'll like it. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> to so. me, yeah, it seems like a little more like some of the other mm-hmm. podcasts where like one person tells a story and the other one's just like ask questions right. without knowing anything. That's kind of how it is today. Yeah. So let us know what you think about that format. Yeah. But before we get into that, mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Trisha. Indeed. So would you rather be... Stuck in the freezing cold of Antarctica with all of your friends or on a warm tropical island with only one of your friends. So what I've read about borderline personality disorder, (laughs) which I suffer Hmm. from, is that you stick a borderline on a desert island, their problems go away. Because they are not fixating on everything else that someone else might be thinking, not thinking, doing, not doing about them. Mm. Um, Does that make sense? That does make sense. To you? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the borderline's problems are real or imagined abandonments by people they're around. Right. So if there's not many people around. Yeah. Basically, some things I've read, if you stuck a borderline on a desert island, they'd be cured. So with that in mind, (laughs) um, I mean, you're still saying the one person is there. So, hmm. But there's like no one else for that other person to be 
talking shit talking about, to you, real or, about real yeah. or imagined. Uh-huh. So then I'd probably go that way because for me, selfishly, that would be less trauma for me in the long run. Got it. That yeah. makes sense. How about you? Definitely tropical island. Um, because I'm more of a like more of an introvert, mm-hmm. and so I'd rather just be with like one person that I really like. And I absolutely hate being cold. I go. could not survive in Antarctica even with the best technology and everything. So, do you watch? Um, shoot, what's the name of that show with all of the kiddos that crashed in the the plane crash when they were teenagers in the nineties? Oh, Lewis. Oh my God, Yellow Jacket. Yes, have you seen that? I've watched like one episode and then my free trial ended. Okay, well, as someone who's watched like all of them, um, it's sort of like that. It's a group of girls that, you know, crashes into like a, I mean, eventually becomes winter and some crazy shit happens. And I don't want to be a part of any of that. Definitely. Like no Donner Lord party of the for me. Flies type of shit. Remember when they made us read that in school? Well, they made me. I'm older than you. <laughs> um, they would have made me read that if I had taken normal English classes. Okay. But I didn't. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just about... I mean, I know that what the story people is. People going against yeah. each other, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, let me turn off my phone here. Um, good question, Courtney. So, uh, I guess take it away. Yes. Introduce us to your case. <laughs> All right, so before I get into it, um, I do just want to put out a trigger warning to all of our listeners. This is a case that includes um, incidents of pretty severe child abuse and child murder. Um, So if that is something that you are very sensitive to, maybe skip this one. Okay. Okay. So our new case is um, the story of Gordon Stewart Northcott. A.K.A. the Wineville Chicken Ranch Killer. Wineville? Wineville. Okay. A.K.A. the Boy Butcher. Ew. Yeah. He's right up there, you know, great A scumbag. Okay. So, Gordon Stewart Northcott, who went by his name, middle name Stewart, so he'll be called Stewart from here now on, okay. was born on November 9th, 1906 in Saskatchewan, Canada. So we're going way back in time for this one. So the other child killer was a, the Beast of British Columbia in Canada. That's true. Hmm. Hmm. Not saying anything about Canadians. Just making an observation. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So his father was George Northcott, and his mother was Louise Northcott. There are rumors, however, that Stuart's biological mother was actually his older sister, Winnie, and that he was the product of an incestuous relationship between Winnie and George. Different sources reported different information about this, so... Ted Bundy. Definitely brings up some Bundy vibes. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, his sister was much older than him, so it biologically is possible. Okay. So there's not much known about Stuart's childhood, but he was raised in British Columbia, Canada. And he claimed that he was sexually molested by his father when he was 10 years old. It's also reported that Stuart and his mother Louise had a very codependent relationship, where she doted on him, gave him pretty much whatever he wanted, and protected him from the potential consequences of his actions throughout his life. So, Trisha, what do you know and remember about codependent relationships? Maybe think back to Eric Napolitano and his mom. Well, in that situation, it was more than just codependence because she, like, 
basically turned him into a surrogate, uh, I don't know, husband for herself. So that's not what I where I think you're going. Um, I know that they're bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't know much more. Okay. Yeah. So when we think of a codependent relationship, it's basically where two people's lives are so intertwined with each other's that the happiness of one is sort of like dependent on the other one also being okay. Okay. So they'll almost do anything to make sure that the other one is okay. And this is not an uncommon thing between um, like parents and children. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's not like every relationship has it, but between like a mom and a son would not be like unheard of for there Mm -hmm. to be a codependent relationship building. Or between spouses. Yep, you see it between spouses or, yeah, yeah, partners. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Failed. (laughs) (laughs) So Stewart displayed deviant behaviors from a young age, at least his teen years. He was a pathological liar, thought nothing of stealing, and had very poor relationships with others. When he was 18, he and his parents fled Canada after he was accused of sexually molesting multiple children in the neighborhood that they lived in. He was how old? 18. Okay. The family moved to Los Angeles, and by this time, his sister Winnie was married and living with her husband and her children back in Saskatchewan. So while in L.A., Stewart had dreams of fame and fortune. Mm -hmm. He was actually a talented pianist, um, and he took acting classes at the local studios, He loved going to the movies with his mother and tried to cultivate relationships with those in the movie business. Stewart was described at this time as very childlike, with a soft and feminine voice, but also being prone to temper tantrums. And he never was actually cast in any sort of Hollywood film, despite his efforts. He acted like a diva. He definitely did. But he wasn't. (laughs) No, he was not. a diva, okay. (laughs) So in 1926, at the age of 21, he convinced his parents to buy him a piece of property in the southern California town of Wineville, with plans to turn it into a chicken ranch. Not really sure why the chicken ranch, that's just what they went with, I suppose. So, unable to build the work and ranch on his own, um, Stewart drove to Canada and convinced his sister Winnie to let his nephew, Sanford Clark, who was 13 at the time, come live with him in California to help him on the ranch. Do you think Winnie knew of his possible molestation of the kids before they left? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's rumors that there was a really odd um, relationship between Stuart and his sister. I wouldn't doubt it if if he is indeed molesting the kiddos around town. He's probably doing something with his sister as well. Well, she was older than him. Either but, way, well, whatever, yes, she was true. doing something with him. Okay, sorry. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Okay. So, Stuart illegally snuck Sanford across the Canadian-U.S. border, and they made their way down to the ranch in California. Stuart would use the fact that Sanford was in the country illegally as blackmail to help keep him compliant. So, now, Trisha, can you imagine how it might have felt to be 13 and shipped off to another country with your weird uncle? No. Because that would suck. Your mom, who was supposed to take care of you, is shipping you off to another country. And what was this deal? I don't even know. Like, why? Uh, with the, the funny uncle, 
mm-hmm. who already had to leave one country because like most likely something was happening and their family was like, let's get out of here before like charges are pressed or something. Right. I mean, I don't know how much this kid knew, but I'd be pissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless I didn't like mm-hmm. my mom and I really liked my uncle. I guess mm-hmm. it depends on how how their yeah. relationship was. Yeah. So a lot of the information um, for this story was obtained from the book The Road Out of Hell by Anthony Flacco, which was based on Sanford's accounts okay. of what he experienced with living with his uncle, Stuart. Okay. And so in that book, they do talk a little bit about Sanford and his relationship with his mom. Um, sounds like she was very domineering, very emotionally and physically abusive, um, and felt like Sanford, who was kind of more of a dreamer, he liked to read and write and kind of do more of those things, felt like he wasn't man enough mm-hmm. and needed to toughen up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so that was the reason that she gave for sending him down to the ranch was that it would toughen him up and teach him some work ethic. Where's his dad? Dad is there and dad doesn't like the idea, but mom's definitely in charge. Okay. That's just, yeah, that's just weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And so at this time, Stanford doesn't really know much about his uncle. You know, he's lived in apart from him for most of his life. All right. Um, But he just knows that, like, when he's around, he and mom are weird. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. So, Sanford reported that before they went out all the way to the ranch, they spent a few nights with his grandparents, Stuart's parents, in L.A. The first night they were there was also the first time that Stuart physically and sexually assaulted Sanford. First night. First night. Took a long time for that to happen. Yes. Now, George and Louise witnessed the physical abuse and could hear his screams, but there's nothing to stop Stuart or protect Sanford. So just, and I'm sure you know this, Courtney, but what I'm learning working um, with child abuse victims is a lot of the times the perpetrator will do this stuff in front of other people Mm -hmm. at the house. Doesn't mean the other people, it sounds like these parents grandparents whatever they were knew it heard it um but just saying like for everyone to beware that like this stuff does occur right under parents or whoever's noses like the perpetrators will molest victims right in front of other people absolutely just putting that out there and of course his parents had to have known that that was something he did since they literally ran away from canada Mm -hmm. to escape prosecution essentially for that Okay, so back to the first night, he's assaulting his nephew. The nephew is crying out, and grandparents slash parents, uh, well, I guess it would be this kiddo's grandparents. This kiddo's grandparents. um, Heard it. Heard it. And 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 saw the physical abuse happen. It happened in front of them. He, like, knocked him out. So he physically Mm -hmm. abused him and sexually abused him? Yes. Okay. And so next morning, sort of like nothing ever happened, and... Stuart and Sanford made their way out to the ranch property out in more in the desert part of California. So while they, when they first moved out there, then Stuart and his nephew lived in a tent out on the ranch until they completed the construction of the main house. Um, so George, the, the father, was like a construction worker, so he helped basically tell them how to build it mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But they built it themselves, so that's something mm-hmm. anyway. And then once the chicken coops were built and the chickens were trucked in, it basically became Sanford's responsibility to complete most of the daily tasks on the ranch. So he wasn't allowed to leave to go to school. He wasn't allowed to 
leave to talk to anyone, make any friends. He was pretty much just trapped on that ranch property working all the time. And probably being molested in the evenings or whenever. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We will talk more about that. Isolated. Yes, exactly. Now, Stuart would sometimes help with the, the ranch work, but mostly he liked to socialize out in Wineville and the other surrounding towns. He liked to play his piano in the house or he would go visit his mom and friends over in L.A. Um, when Stuart was at home, he was moody and temperamental. So he could be charming and funny and engaging one minute, but the next minute he could be cruel and explosively angry. He did not like to be questioned, challenged, or told no, and would become irate and lash out aggressively at whoever was around. Often, this abuse was centered on Stanford, who was hit, punched, kicked, and more almost daily. Stewart also denied him food and would lock him in the shed or a chicken coop for days at a time if he did something to anger him. Stewart's violent sexual proclivities were also worse when he was angry, and Sanford reported that in addition to regular rape, Stewart regularly sodomized him using objects, including wooden boards and barbed wire. Barbed wire? Mm-hmm. He had a lot of significant damage to his body. I'm assuming you mean anal sodomy? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good God. So, Trisha, mm -hmm. what diagnoses do you think I should be considering based on what we know so far? Well, I mean, the one that comes to mind, first of all, is narcissism. Yes. Um, obviously, some sexual sadistic stuff is happening. The need for control and being getting joy or whatever, by mm -hmm. making someone else hurt. Um, the the lack of remorse that seems to be uh, there, you mm -hmm. know, leads to ASPD as well, mm -hmm. or at least some sort of psychopathy, psychopathy some, some of those tendencies. Um, you know... That's, yeah, that's where I'm, I don't know where the anger totally is coming from mm -hmm. because, yeah. All right. Well, you and I are on exactly the same page. Those are kind of the three that come Ooh, to my mind as well. Look at you guys. We can learn yes. as we go. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's definitely that narcissism there um, and very, very fragile ego mm -hmm. for Stuart, I think. Like, it could be any sort of even perceived disagreement or slight, and he could lash out in anger. I mean, it's almost like he got this kid from his sister just so he would have someone to have control over and abuse. I think that you're not wrong about that. Because it's not, I mean, maybe he wanted free labor, but you know, I don't know. That's not really what he, yeah, that what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely categorize Stuart also as um, a malignant narcissist, mm. right? So that kind that not only feels they're better and, you know, wants to be highly revered and everything, but uses their powers for evil. Um, and I think he definitely does. And you claim he's very charming. So, right. He had know, that. Mm -hmm. We know that can come from, well, 
all those personality disorders can display that. But yeah. And I think looking back to at his younger years, right, with like lying and stealing and all of that, I think that makes a good argument for some antisocial or psychopathy going on there, too. Um, how old is he at this time? He's 21, 22, somewhere there. And his there. nephew's 13, 14. Mm-hmm. So he's still a relatively young adult. He is. For committing this type of violent crimes on his own family. Yes. He did nothing to him. Yes, that's right. Okay. So, one time, Sanford started to run away in the middle of the night. And he made it a few miles down the road before he realized that he had nowhere to go and was in the country illegally. So he remembered that fact. And so he turned around and went back. Mm. And his punishment from Stuart was a severe beating, followed by being held in a hole dug in the ground with a wooden lid that was weighed down, stuck flat on his back with very little room to move for two days. Who does that remind you of? Oh. That's a good question. My brain did not think of anyone else. Billy Milligan. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Man, was... we know too much about him. <laughs> we do. I mean, yeah. he got, he got mm-hmm. urinated on while he was in that mm-hmm. hole in the ground. But right. Yeah. Yep. Being like forced in there like a casket. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that wouldn't be the only time that he, that was a punishment. That was something that happened. That's awful. Regularly after that. Okay. So soon. Stuart seemed to get bored with having only one boy, so he started coming back from the town with young migrant boys, often Spanish-speaking only, Mm -hmm. um, and under the guise of having paid work for them to do. These boys would range in age from about 10 to 13, and Sanford estimated that dozens of them passed through the ranch um, during the two years that he was there. Instead of putting them to work on the ranch... Stuart would chain the boys up in one of the sheds on the property and then repeatedly torture and rape them over several days. Stanford was often forced to help Stuart in holding these boys captive, being asked to tie them up or nail the door to the shed shut, occasionally bringing them food or water. And they would beg him to let them go, but Stanford would instead tell them, just go along with what he wants. It'll be easier that way. Because he knew that without these boys being there, he would be the Mm -hmm. target every night. Sometimes these boys were returned to their families, too afraid to report what had happened and worried about being deported. And sometimes these boys, mostly unidentified migrants, were never seen again. Trisha, thoughts? I mean, I'm just thinking of past cases coming to my head. Um, Obviously, he's picking vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. He likes his boys between the ages of 10 and 13. That was about the age of his nephew when he got him. So Mm -hmm. to me, I'm going back to like whatever happened to him, the the trigger part or whatever in his Mm -hmm. childhood, in Stuart's childhood, was at that age. Right. He did say he was molested by his father when he was 10. Okay, so mm-hmm. like right there, you're seeing maybe that's why he's choosing the population he is. Um, plus, they're their kids and they're migrants, so they're easy to manipulate and control. Um, as far as little Stewart or not Stewart Sanford having to help, mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking of Gary Heidnick, yeah. and I'm also thinking of Teresa Noor um, with the 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 victims being. I don't want to say brainwashed, but conditioned to just 
accepting sort of what's going on and like also trying not to have that happen to them. So they are like happy for a break. Mm -hmm. Not that they are at all wanting these other kids to have this happen. They're not like, you know, getting off on it sadistically. Right. They just need a break. And so that's how they're coping with it. Um, which I'm sure is going to lead to PTSD down the line or survivor's guilt. hundred percent. Yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, those are good insights. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Now, in February 1928, Stewart arrived back at the ranch late one night, very agitated and giddy. He held a bucket out towards Sanford and ordered him to look inside. In the bucket was the head of a teenage Hispanic boy. Stewart claimed that he'd been trying to bring this boy back to work at the ranch, but and he had tried to sexually assault him in the car on the way, but this boy, he fought back and managed to get out of the car, which is when Stewart pulled out a gun and shot him ten times. Oh, okay. Not overkill or anything. <laughs> right. Right? A little rage. <laughs> yes. So Stewart drove the boy's body out into the desert and left it there, but said he removed the head to prevent identification. Mm-hmm. He then forced Sanford to build a large bonfire and threw the head in the fire. When it was sufficiently burned, he also made Sanford use an axe to break up the remaining skull into tiny pieces that could be mixed into the ashes. Stewart threatened to kill Sanford if he ever told anyone. Hmm. Then... On March 10th, 1928, nine-year-old Walter Collins went on a car ride with a friend of his mom's and was looking forward to being able to ride horses on a ranch. Unfortunately for Walter, that friend was Stuart Northcott, and his ranch didn't have any horses, just chickens. Once on the ranch, Walter realized quickly that he was not in a good situation and asked to go home repeatedly. In response, Stuart punched him in the head, knocking him out and then took him into one of several chicken coops where he beat and raped him for hours. He remained on the ranch for several days while Stuart tortured him repeatedly. During this time, Stuart's mom, Louise, decided to come out to the ranch for a visit. Now, one might expect that Stuart might try to hide the fact that he was holding a Mm -hmm. nine-year-old sex slave hostage in the shed from his mother, but that was not the case. She had known all along that her son was kidnapping and abusing young boys. And the only thing that really upset her about Walter's presence was that he was the son of somebody that Stuart knew. So he could be chased, traced back to the family. Mm-hmm. So she chastised him for being stupid enough to take a child that he actually knew who could be traced back to him. And so Stuart and Louise decided that Walter had to die. Dead men tell no tales. Right. And that Sanford had to help too, so there would be a good reason for nobody to tell. The whole idea of, you know, mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. If you tell, then you get in trouble you're telling too. on yourself. hmm So, Louise was the first to hit Walter in the head with an axe. She and Stuart then forced Sanford to take a swing. And then Stuart followed up with several more axe blows to the head until he was sure that little Walter was dead. He then was buried in a shallow grave under the chicken coop and covered in quick lime to dissolve the body and the bones. Trisha, thoughts on Louise and what just well, transpired? Like, 
what's up with her? I mean, she's okay with this? Like, was it her? It sounds like it was her idea. And if that's the case, like, what was what is going on with her that we don't know about? I mean, yeah, like, maybe Stuart was molested by his dad slash grandpa. But um, what the, that just, what's up with her? What do you think? I think that it ties back to the sort of intense codependency that the two of them had. You know, she literally moved her son to another country to help yeah. save him from potential consequences. And so I think this was, I think, another extreme case of her just wanting to protect her her little baby boy, whether he was actually hers or not. Um, and so it's like some sort of perverse way of trying to protect him from his own actions. Does Sanford... Yeah, but she participated. Does Sanford... Mm-hmm. Um, give any like insight on how she reacted during this was she upset was she like cool calculated cucumber when she was bludgeoning this little boy to death or I mean it's one thing to help cover up a crime or look the other way but like if she was the first to wield the axe it and it was her idea it just it's it's doesn't seem like it's that it seems like it's more like I don't know Maybe mm-hmm. I'm reading too much into it, but it almost seems like she she wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. She was described sort of as, was like, very pragmatic about it. Like, this is just a thing that had to be done. Okay. Um, so, lack of emotion either way, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, that's not necessarily like she enjoyed it the way that Stuart did, mm-hmm. but that it was... More like a mafia kill. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Just need mm-hmm. to be done. Just get it over with. Exactly. All right. Yep. And then they never talked about it ever again. All right. All right. So then on May 16th, 1928, the Winslow brothers, 12-year-old Lewis and 10-year-old Nelson from Pomona, California, were lured out to the ranch with the promise of paid work. Of course, they realized once they got to the ranch that they were in big trouble. Stewart had Sanford nail the door shut while he was in a coop with both boys torturing them in front of each other for several hours. Over the next few days, Stuart alternated between the brothers, bringing one into the house to be sexually assaulted, while the other remained locked in the chicken coop. Eventually, he decided that he was done with them, and told Sanford to dig an extra deep grave in the floor of a shed. He also instructed Sanford to use an axe to kill the older brother, while he, Stuart, would kill the younger brother in a different room. But Sanford couldn't bring himself to do it. Sanford would, or excuse me, Stuart would punish Sanford later, back with the shallow grave, Mm -hmm. um, with the the wooden lid over the top punishment. Um, But since Sanford hadn't held up his end of the deal, Stuart took the axe and hit Lewis in the head several times before pushing his body into the pre-dug grave. He then did the same to Nelson, but neither boy had died yet and were heard making quiet moaning noises from inside the hole. Stuart then ordered Sanford to fill in the grave with dirt anyway. So while Lewis and Nelson likely would have died from their head wounds eventually, they ultimately died of suffocation from being buried alive. That Sanford did. That Sanford did the burying, Mm -hmm. yes. So how terrifying do you think it must have been for those boys including Sanford 
I hope that those boys were knocked so hard that they just didn't know what was going on and it was more just like bodily responses. Because um, if they were able to understand them what was going on and they were buried alive, like that's got to be like, that's what horror movies mm-hmm. are made out of. Mm-hmm. What was that one horror movie where she was buried alive? I want to say it had Kiefer Sutherland in it. It's really old. I don't really uh, The Vanishing. Movies. I think it's The Vanishing. It's not horror, thriller. Mm. I think it was called The Vanishing. Um, anyways, I watching that as a kid, like it's always scared me. Or Kill Bill, mm-hmm. you know, when she like crawls out of that, well, she like punches her way mm-hmm. out of the grave. Like all that shit's just terrifying. It's mm-hmm. not being able to breathe and being in a dark, confined space or breathing mm-hmm. in dirt. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it does sound, um, at least according to Stan- Sanford's memories, that. They were not conscious. They weren't okay. awake. Well, good. Um, but that he did um, recall hearing them kind of like Coughing. gasping and choking mm-hmm. on the dirt. Yeah. Ho- yeah. Hopefully they were gone. By that point, it was just a, a response of their body. <clears throat> right. So during the summer of 1928, Sanford's older sister, Jessie, who had been worried about her younger brother for the past two years, came for an unannounced visit. Sorry, did you say younger or older? Older. Okay. Despite threats from Stuart, Sanford confessed to his sister about what had been happening on the ranch. Out of fear for her own and her brother's safety, Jessie waited until she left town before she called the police. Sanford was left alone on the ranch for two days before police arrived and found him. Stuart and his parents had fled back to Canada. They left him there? They left him there. Um, and now in September of that year, after driving out and finding Sanford there all alone, police found human bone fragments buried on the ranch, and with the help of Sanford's reporting, were able to link them to the Winslow brothers, Lewis and Nelson. Mm-hmm. They also found personal effects from the boys and an axe with blood on it. But Walter Collins' remains were never found. Hmm. Um, Is he the one that was burned? No. No, that was the, that was the little boy's head. Mm-hmm. That was someone else. That was the one that um, mom participated in and right. was buried okay. with lime. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so Walter Collins' story is actually a little bit interesting. Um, and it was actually the basis for the movie The Changeling with Angelina Jolie and Clint Eastwood in it. Because when mom reported him missing after he hadn't come home, um, police at some at one point accused her of doing something to kill him, mm-hmm. um, and then found just sort of another random boy in like the LA area, mm-hmm. and they decided that that was just Walter Collins now, and tried to like bring him home to pass him off to mm-hmm. pass him off as Walter, but mom was like, "That's not my son. Mm-hmm. That's not my son," and that's a whole dramatic thing. Um, but, yeah. But that's not what happened in real life, right? That is what happened in real life. Oh, so Walter's mom, eventually some random kid came, and and they were like, this is your son, and she's like, it's not my son? Yes. Yeah. And then, yeah, a whole bunch of craziness ensued, but. Okay. When really, what happened to her son was that he was a victim of Uh Stuart Northcott. Okay. Interesting. So, it wasn't long before Stewart was located in Canada and extradited back to California to face charges of murder, sexual abuse, and sodomy. 
While in prison at San Quentin, Stewart went back and forth between claiming his innocence and giving big dramatic confessions. At various times, he admitted to killing up to 20 young boys and running a pedophile ring where he rented out the boys he kidnapped to other rich men for sex. Mm -hmm. At one point, Stewart's mother, Louise, claimed that she was responsible for all of the murders and that her son should go free, but she then recanted that statement. In December 1928, though, Louise did plead guilty for her part in the murder of Walter Collins and was sentenced to life in prison. But if they already thought Walter was still alive, I'm confused. Yeah. So (laughs) all of the stuff that happened with, like, Walter was, like, very shortly after he disappeared. Oh. Yes. So that was, like, during a matter of months. So then eventually, Mm -hmm. like, they determined that was not Walter? Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Sorry, that was confusing. No worries. <laughs> yeah. And so um, she was sentenced to life in prison because she was a woman, so they weren't going to sentence her to death. Mm-hmm. But she only ended up serving 16 years before being released on parole. Okay. And then extradited or deported back to Canada. Okay. So thoughts, um, questions about anything that has been talked um, about? I had one and it left. It was, oh, uh, did... Um, Sanford say anything about a pedophile sex ring? People coming and going from the ranch? Was that any of that in there? He didn't um, say anything about that. I didn't see that. Um, that wasn't in the book. Okay. But, so, but we do know that like boys were coming and going right, at right. all hours. And... Right, it would just seem like he would know if there were also adults coming mm-hmm. and going. So mm-hmm. maybe... Um, it's Stuart also possible, shit or yeah. maybe a different time. Right. It's also possible that the other adults came when Stuart was locked in one of the or chicken Sanford. coops yeah. or Sanford. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. I just mm-hmm. was curious if he witnessed any of that, right? Or yeah. if that was like you know Stuart boasting in jail, mm-hmm. right? Weird. You know the way narcissists do. <laughs> Definitely. You know, and naming names of powerful people. Right. And... Right. Little John Wayne Gacy action. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So Sanford, being only 15 when he was um, discovered out at the ranch, Mm -hmm. stayed at the hospital for several months recovering from his physical and emotional injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, He had very intense PTSD, um, was very dissociative. Sure. Blame him. Never truly fully recovered, um, which I think is understandable. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and because he did participate in the murders of the Winslow brothers, um, he was charged as a juvenile as an accessory to murder. So Sanford and Stewart weren't actually charged in the murders of um, Walter mm-hmm. um, because mom already confessed to it. Okay. So. And she hit the first blow, so mm-hmm. possibly right. she did kill mm-hmm. him. Yes. Um, so the prosecutor took a special interest in Sanford, though, and could see how truly traumatized he was. So he arranged for Sanford to serve his time at a youth rehabilitation center, where he lived in kind of more of like a family milieu setting and received job training and mental health treatment. And so Sanford was released at the age of 18, and he moved back to Canada and ended up after that having a long and mostly happy life you know he was a soldier in world war ii he fought for the allied forces and you know got married had kids and grandkids and kind of led a quiet life after that good Mm -hmm. 
So when he got out of the the hospital in the States, do you know who he went back to in Canada? I'm hoping he didn't go back to his family. He went to, he lived with his sister okay. to start with. His sister, okay. Mm-hmm. Before, until he was able to kind of get on his feet. Okay. She was, she's okay. Yes, we liked her. <laughs> she, she, she was, was the, the only one who came looking for him. Right. And then mm-hmm. reported something. Yeah. Thank goodness that her uncle didn't like kill her too. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. she obviously wasn't his type, but you know, he mm-hmm. might have killed her to stop her from saying anything. Obviously mm-hmm. he was scared she would because they moved or they right. like got the hell out of Dodge. Before exactly. The yep. cops came. So mm-hmm. knew she was serious business. Yes, definitely. So, um, you know, it just, it's nice to see a victim actually be treated like a victim mm-hmm. and get help, especially, you know, this was the early 1900s. This was 1929. Yeah. You know, there's not a whole lot of understanding around mental health back then. So where, so Stuart, life in prison, did he get the chair or whatever it was yeah. back then? I'm about to get into that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Jump in the gun. Yeah. So Stewart's trial started in January 1929 and lasted for 27 days. He was charged with three counts of murder, um, one for the unnamed Hispanic male whose oh, okay, head he good. brought back. Good, there was at um, least Because there was a body. Okay. Right? And one each um, for the Winslow brothers. Now, Stewart decided to represent himself at trial um, because he's a malignant narcissist and right. thought he knew better than everyone. What is that joke mm-hmm. where they say, oh, it's like something about when you defend yourself. Oh, I can't remember what it is. Never mind. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to Google it. Okay. Keep going. So um, the prosecution's main witness was Sanford Clark, who testified to all the abuse and torture that he experienced in the two years he spent on his uncle's farm, as well as the violence that he witnessed and was forced to participate in. Stewart did not do himself any favors in the way that he treated Sanford in court. He openly mocked and insulted him for not trying to escape or for not fighting back. Mm -hmm. And then on February 8th, 1929, Stewart Northcott was found guilty of three counts of murder. And five days later, the judge sentenced him to death. Okay. Once all his appeals were up, Gordon Stewart Northcott was hanged on October 2nd, 1930. There was, however, a mistake during his execution, and instead of the rope breaking his neck, Stewart was slowly strangled by the rope for 12 minutes before he was declared dead. Hmm. Trisha? I found the joke. Hmm. A man who represents himself has a fool for a lawyer. Ah. That's what I was thinking of. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this always comes to mind when they say hanged. Like, why isn't it hung? <laughs> but that's not what you're asking me. But that always that always mm-hmm. is something I'm like, why didn't they say they were hung to death, but they were hanged? Um, the 12 minutes. Well, another thing that came to me is, like, it does take a long time to suffocate to death or to be strangled to death, even mm-hmm. by rope. Yep. Um, so I don't want to be like, hey, he deserved it because that's not my place. But I'm sure no one was crying tears for him. They could have stepped in and redone the thing. Yeah, and nobody did. Broke his neck the way it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And they just let him hang there. Yep. Until he died. Yeah. um, How long did he wait till that happened? I missed that part. Does it say? Like, how Um, long was he on death row or whatever? He was on death row for about a year and a half. Oh, a lot quicker than it is now. 
yeah probably was, way different like appeal process back then right I think it's pretty much just like you get one appeal yeah and since he was his own lawyer uh-huh <laughs> didn't it didn't go it. well he didn't I'm even sure. go to law school I mean at least Bundy went to law school for a little while <laughs> right exactly um, he just thought that he knew better right and you know he was one of the youngest documented serial killers and one of the youngest to be put to death for his crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right. what, how do you feel about him being put to death? I mean, generally speaking, I'm not usually a big fan of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. It's too expensive. Right. And, and everything. The and, morality of it all. all that yeah. Stuff. But mostly like, like the, the expense. Yeah. I mean, for me, some of it is that morality. Like, how can we say it's wrong to kill and then kill ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um but this guy was a monster, mm-hmm. and I can't say that I'm sad that he died quickly. Yeah, slowly but quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was only, what, like 24, 25 mm-hmm. when he died? Yeah, that's probably one of the mm-hmm. still, like, youngest people to be executed mm-hmm. in the U.S. Right, yeah, because remember, all of this stuff happened before he was 23 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like a very sad story. It is a very sad story. All around. Um, mm-hmm. We don't really get to know Stuart very well because it's so old. So right. there's like, mm-hmm. and it's coming from Sanford's point of view, it sounds like. Right. So mm-hmm. we don't really get to, we can speculate a little bit on the trauma he suffered as a child. And, and then going from what we know so far, there's probably a lot more trauma that we don't know about. Probably. Um, again. Mm-hmm. He still had free will. <laughs> he wasn't right. st- psychotic or delusional or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So right. he made the choice to be a f- murderer of children mm-hmm. and a pedophile. He was definitely a pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 10 to 13. Yeah. Yep. Pre- pu- pre-pubescent boys. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And then throw in just like his family and how they all covered for him. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm remembering right, his dad... Um, after, you know, him and, you know, his wife got arrested, um, dad ended up in like having a mental breakdown and being in an, like a mental hospital, Oh, um, where he eventually died by suicide. So he might've had some like emotions and feelings mm-hmm. and guilt and stuff about what was happening. Yes. Yeah. There was, um, during the part of the story, um, in the book where Jesse was there, um, Sanford's sister, Mm -hmm. visiting. There was a part of that where um, they were all staying at the grandparents' house, and Jesse convinced basically the grandfather to help her and Sanford escape. Um, And he tried to help, but then they got caught, and... It didn't work out, but she eventually did so she, escape. So but. he was controlled by the, the wife, for yes, sure. Yes, he was. He's a grown man. He could have yanked that grandkid out of there if mm-hmm. he really wanted to. Yes. He wasn't afraid of something else. Mm-hmm. I think he was afraid of Sanford. Or not Sanford. He was afraid of Stuart, mm-hmm. and he was afraid of his wife. Yeah. Well, good story. <laughs> I know it doesn't end on any sort of, right. of upper or anything. I mean, I mean, at least at least he's he was punished, and mm-hmm. he's 
not hurting he wasn't hurting kids anymore after that right I hope that the families of all those missing boys like that there was a newspaper article or something where they could like at least maybe get a little closure and be like you know that's probably what happened to them that's terrible but at least I don't know Mm -hmm. it's hard to say it is hard to say especially like like records back then right Um, and like if they were undocumented Mm -hmm. coming from Mexico to be laborers and yeah yeah so potentially up to to 20 victims yeah and he got charged and found guilty for three (sighs) well thanks for sharing your story yeah that was a good one um that was long yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean normally we could have broken this one up you think so yeah no but um no it's okay we'll just do a long one you guys cool one and done but it's sort of long um so our next case was that it for that was it yeah our next case which i'm hoping will be ready by next week i'm hoping so is going to be uh i'll give the diagnosis Mm. bpd borderline personality disorder we haven't done very many of serial killers with those, so. We have not. A little Charles Cullen. Yep. And maybe that's all? I mean, I know Jeffrey Dahmer has it, but we haven't oh. done him yet. We're going to get to Jeffrey Dahmer. He's just so big. It's and Trisha's sad. favorite, and so she wants to, like. <laughs> I say he's, like, my favorite, but, yes, I did <laughs> do my forensic anthropology project on him a few years ago, and, um. I find his story to be fascinating and sad and awful and disgusting. All of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we haven't done him yet, but we'll get to it. Eventually. But, yes, we are going to do someone else with borderline personality disorder next time. Sounds like it'll be fun. Yeah. Did you create something for the end of this? I did. Okay, what is it? So, Trisha, mm-hmm. what do we do if a sly young man offers us a job on his chicken ranch say heck no i don't want to work with your chickens and then go (laughs) home and then oh wait go nuts go home (laughs) then go to therapy (laughs) yes i screwed that up this is not normal that's true it's normally reversed (laughs) damn it okay all right everyone thanks for listening stay safe we'll see you next tuesday bye bye